we're excited about what's happening here in Clinton. Um, I pray regularly for Celebrate. I really do. I pray for you guys. I, I've got a prayer list and your church is on it because I'm believing that we are going to have a strong church that ministers to a lot of people in Clinton. It's funny, in Mississippi, we have about 3 million people, um, which isn't a huge state. We love it. We, you know, we don't want the world to know too much about it because then they'll all move here and it may not be as good. But we've got about a third of our people who claim no religious affiliation and we're in the Bible Belt. There are many people who grow up and live their lives having never gone to a church. So that's the reality of where we're at. Um, so even though everybody says they go to church or yeah, I, there's a church I go to, well, that you're talking once a year maybe, there's a lot of people out there who are just lost. And they need a church like Celebrate, a church that cares for people. And uh, we're excited as a district about what your church is doing. And we're excited about what's going on here. Because there's a lot of people out there who need it. There's, there was a kid, he was just a regular kid. His name was Danny. And he wanted to take a perfect selfie. Have you ever taken selfies? Most of you have. Um, if, if you said you haven't, someone's taken a picture of you that you probably didn't like. But, but selfies are, are one of those things. People try to take the right selfie and do the right thing. And, and Danny was a kid who wanted to take the perfect selfie. In fact, he got obsessed with it. And he would spend up to 10 hours a day taking over 200 selfies because of his desire to have a perfect selfie. Now, Danny was 19 years old. To do this, he wanted to look perfect, so he started losing weight. He lost over 30 pounds in his quest to have the perfect selfie. He would wake up in the morning and he would take 10 to 15 selfies right away. Now, I don't know why you take selfies when you wake up in the morning. I don't know about you, but when I look up, I get scared when I look in front of the mirror. To take a picture of myself would be scary, but that's what he did. And he got so obsessed to the point was he thought, I can't do this, that Danny tried to take his own life. And his mom uh, found him and was able to get him to the hospital and save him. And, and I tell that story because it represents where we're at. We live in a messed up world. And I say messed up, not in the, those people are messed up. Mm -mm. You know, like you get the attitude at Walmart sometimes. What were they thinking? <laughs> you know, did you look in a mirror? And, um, you know, I'm not talking that attitude. I'm talking the attitude of there are a lot of people out there who are living life and they have no clue. And, I, and I, I'm not judging them. It's just the reality. If they don't know Christ, if they don't have a living relationship with Jesus, they're just lost. They're just lost. And there's a lot of people out there. And so what we're doing is we're living our life to help those people. You think, what does God have me for? Why am I here? Am I here to work? Am I here to cut my grass? You know, what's, what's my purpose? Your purpose is to be light to this world. Yeah, that's, right. that's, that's what he calls you to be. Y'all been doing the series about how, how can I be a neighbor? And that's, that's really what Jesus calls us to do, to be a neighbor, to be someone who loves others. And, and I want to hit a different aspect of that today, talking mainly about the home and how your home can be a place of light for a community and for your neighbors. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. And it says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house or in the area. 
And what I want to talk about this morning is how you can, you can build a house, a home that is a light on a hill for our society. Because that's what society needs. They need to see, does this stuff work? What, what's real? You know, my wife and I, we, you know, been married 27 years. Well, to many, that's, that's eons. And, and to a few, oh, you're just still a child. You know, they're, they're still working on it. And, and, and so it's, it's one of those things. But in our society, when, when you say you've been married a long time, usually people are like, how did y'all do that? What, what's the secret? Well, it, it's not really a secret. The Bible kind of tells us how to live life. And if we live according to what the Bible says, God can open up doors and can help us. And that doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't mess up. We do. We go through stuff. We go through junk. But God is right there with us. And people want to see that. They want to see, is this real? Is this whole Jesus thing real? I was, I was praying over um, Eurasia this morning. It's, it's part of my prayer list. And, and I read a testimony of a young man in Iran who heard a message on the internet wanted to find out more about Jesus and, and through different processes actually got a track where he could learn about Jesus, called someone on like an international number that's toll free. They led him in a prayer and now he's being secretly discipled in Iran because he just wanted to know what's real, what's true. And there's a lot of people out there that are looking for that, especially the ones who act like they've got it all together. That's the fun thing about the millennial generation is they'll sit there and tell you what you need to do. Like they just know, hey, this is what you got to do. And they have no clue. Because we all are that way. We can tell everyone else how to do stuff, but we don't do it, do we? Every January, what happens? Everybody gets on the weight loss kick. And it's funny how many people know a lot about dieting, but they never lose weight. Well, what you need to do is this, this, and this. Really? How's that working for you? You know, to go Dr. Phil on them. You know, it's just, it's, it's a reality. You know, it's a reality. We're really quick to give advice, but the world wants to see how does it live? How does it live out? So we want to talk about being, being a home set on a hill. And, and we do that by changing our parenting mindset. Now, when I say that, those of you who aren't parents yet, you may just click off. I'm not a parent. And, and for some of you, that's good. <laughs> you're young, you're not married. <laughs> Let's not be a parent yet, okay? You know, but, but you say I'm not a parent, but it's interesting how Paul refers to, to y'all, y'all saw my picture up there. I just saw, uh, that's the parenting mindset. And that's not a parenting mindset right there. That's a scary mindset. Um, that was me back, no, it wasn't me. I, I wish I had that hair, but... Um, Here's the deal. Parenting is not just you have a child. A lot of people have children today, but they're not parents. Parenting is a mindset. What does Paul say to those he's discipling? He says, you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. Here's the deal, church. You are called to parent people. That's what we do as disciplers. So you may not have a baby, but you're still parenting other people. So when I say parenting mindset, don't check out because you don't have a child. There's people out there who need you to be a mom and a dad. 
to love them, to show them, not that you're better than them, but to show them the way of Christ. Does that make sense? So that's a parenting mindset. It didn't have anything to do with the picture, but the picture engages you. And it it did exactly what I wanted to do. All of you were like, oh my goodness. Um, That was Brother Bob back when he first started pastoring our district superintendent. No, I'm kidding. Um, So so parenting, parenting is a spiritual pursuit. If you have children, it's a spiritual pursuit. If you don't have children and you're discipling people, it's a spiritual pursuit. If you're not discipling anybody, then are you really doing what God has called you to do in life? Because sometimes we have a tendency to take it all in. And we use terms like, you know, I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting my needs met. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And that's a lot of I when God wants us to be giving to others where we're receiving so we can give. And that's why we do it. I like to, I like to run races. I do, I do triathlons. And, and you think, why? I don't know. It's goofy. It's, it's, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you hate it. But then when you finish, you love it. You know, it's one of those things. Well, when you're training for a triathlon, you can eat significantly more than usual. Because when you go bike ride for three hours, you need energy. You know, one little, you know, bowl of cereal is not going to cut it. About 30 minutes, you're done with that. So you have to eat more. But what's funny is when I'm not training, I don't, I don't eat as much. I don't need as much. So I'm not that hungry. When we're not giving and serving and discipling and parenting up people, it's funny how we're not as hungry for God. You see, we got to understand that a lot of times if we're not hungry, it means we're not putting out. We're kind of just taking it all in. And we're kind of, you know, spiritually Netflix binging. You know, there's nothing wrong with every once in a while doing a Netflix binge just to relax and chill. But if you do that all the time, you just get lethargic. You just get where you don't want to do anything. And God doesn't want us to be like that. So he wants us to have a parenting mindset. And and a couple of those we're going to hit today, just some key ones. The first one is avoid perfect parenting. We want to avoid perfect parenting. There's no such thing as perfect parenting. Even people you think are perfect as parents aren't. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. So I've got a, I've got a quick video I want to show here. Um, it shows what, uh, what it's like for many people when they just do want to do a simple thing that many people are doing right now, taking a Christmas card photo. So check this video out. The theme this year is going to be rustic denim in front of a barn. Do we live in the suburbs? Yes. Have we ever been to a barn? No. But I thought it would make perfect sense for a Christmas photo. That's what you're going to wear? I didn't spend $40,000 on a liberal arts education for you to shop at Goodwill. Tuck your shirt in. Put your hand up. Is that seriously his haircut? No, Catherine, your boyfriend can't be in the photo. Y'all been dating two weeks. Does he not even own a belt? Why does your elbow go like that? Can we get a scarf for him or something? Cover up that disgusting tattoo. Move your leg in. Move your hand down. Christopher Allen, do you even want to be in this family? This photo is going to your principal. No, Josiah, you can't bring a guitar out here. Mr. A and G chord can't even make the church worship band. You calling that a 
necklace these days, Chelsea? Looks like you just took the leash off the dog. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Dylan. A tennis racket? Why don't you play a real sport like football? Roll tag. Sit down. Stand up. Act like you love each other. Me and your mother are respected in this community. She's going through that all-natural, no-makeup stage again. Can we at least put her in the back? Lean forward. Shoulders turn. I know he's living in Portland, but does he even wash his hair now? Can Vanessa at least cover up her stomach or something? This is going to the church. Move your knee in. Are we missing somebody? Wake her up. She's in the car. I know you can't feed the horses. Now get together and act like you love each other. The theme this year is going to be rustic okay. denim in front of a bar. So, uh... Yeah, here's the deal. There's no such thing as a perfect parent because there's no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing. So, so quit trying to live to some, some place that you'll never get to. You know, and it's funny, sometimes we do this to ourselves. We read about someone who, you know, oh, they prayed, you know, 15 hours a day and they did all this stuff and we kind of intimidate ourselves and think, well, I'm not like that. Well, they were a real person too. They were, they were real. They made mistakes. They did stuff that wasn't perfect all the time. And that's what we have to understand. Parenting is just being you and trying to help someone else be better. You're letting the Holy Spirit speak to you. It's spiritual parenting. That's what we're doing. We're spiritually parenting someone else. We're parenting from a biblical and spiritual perspective. It's not just what you think. It's what does the Bible say? And the gospel is perfect for this because what is the message of the gospel? God is perfect, I am not. God did what I couldn't do. No matter how hard you try, you'll never be perfect. Well, you don't have to be. Jesus was perfect for us. Jesus came and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live and paid the price we couldn't pay so we could live a life that we really don't have the power to live. That's the essence of the gospel. And when we bring that into parenting, you can say, hey, I'm not a perfect parent, but guess what? I've got the Holy Spirit and he can tell me stuff. I had a secretary one time who, who, when I was on the coast, she literally said God would tell her stuff. And she was far from perfect. In fact, she was probably poster child for the most imperfect parent at times. But there would be times when she'd be like, ooh, I need to go home right now. And she sometimes caught her kids doing stuff. She set up a camera in her house one time because she felt like the Holy Spirit told her to and busted a couple things that were going on in her house. That's Holy Spirit parenting. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. And he's like a secret agent going to tell you secrets. But when you're open, the Holy Spirit talks. When you're listening, he tells you stuff. See, that's spiritual parenting. God is with you in his parenting. And a lot of times... You, you, you don't feel like you know what you're doing. But the Holy Spirit uses things that you don't even think about. It's funny, my kids today, they'll tell stories about stuff that we did. I don't even remember it. Or they'll be like, you know, Dad, that was so deep. And I know in my brain, I was just, I didn't know. You know, Dad, that was so good what you said. I just made it up. <laughs> It was like, oh, I've never heard that question before. Oh, God, help me. <laughs> you know, a lot of times when we think our parents are contemplating, they're actually inside their brain. They're praying, Lord, I have no idea what to do right now. You know, you know, and, and, and uh, so, so we got to understand that the Holy Spirit will help us parent if we're willing to listen to him. Yeah. 
if we're willing to do. The second thing is our focus cannot be on raising good kids. We, we can't raise good kids. There's no such thing as good kids. Good kids is actually a non-gospel term. And in the South, we love, oh, they're good kids. You know, they're not bad. They're just good kids. There's no such thing, biblically. But a lot of times as parents, that's our focus. Because we, what we do is we focus on the behavior of our child and not the spirituality. And, and, and a lot of times behavior is what gets us respect in the community, like the video. It's what people, it's what, what people judge me by how you behave, so I want you to behave well. Kids learn, and kids know, okay, if I act right, I get candy. <laughs> and so we, we, in families, a lot of times, I will affirm you and love you as my child if you behave properly. And that works for a while, but eventually that's going to get old. It's going to be something where parents, you know, play this game, but kids one day, and that's why a lot of times when it comes into the teen years, and it's funny how our society has made, oh, the teen years. You know what the teen years are a lot of times? The teen years show you what maybe you didn't do spiritually to your children when they were children. It's not that at 13, demons appear. You know, I want to lock them up from 13 to 18. <laughs> that's called putting them in jail and that's wrong. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you always feel it because teen years are years where they're trying to figure themselves out and learning and it has its own stresses and everything. I've been through it two times. I get it. But the deal is there's no, well, kids have to rebel as teenagers. No, they don't. You see the focus, when we're focused on behavior, then, then yeah, we have those issues. But when we focus on spirituality, our goal is not to make sure our children behave. It's to make sure they love Jesus. Whether they're your own children or people you are discipling, your goal is not to have them act right. That's religion. And that's really a false religion because religion is not necessarily a bad word when you look at the real context of it. But I don't have time for that. What I want to do is talk about what we do is we train our children and we kind of like give them treats like a dog. If you behave right, if you do these things. And in our society, it's filled, we know, busy. Well, you know, busy kids don't get into trouble. Not really. Busy kids are distracted, but eventually trouble will find them. Well, they, they, why do you have them play all these sports? And this is, this is my pet peeve. Like a, you have a kid who plays 15 sports in one year or travels all the time. And I'm not against sports. But here's the deal. What's the goal of your child? Why do you, why do you use your child play sports? Well, I want him to play sports because I want him to get a scholarship. Oh, okay, good. Why do you want him to get a scholarship? Well, they can go to college. Okay, why? Well, so they can get a degree. Okay, that's good. Why? So they can get out and make money. Okay. So the point of life is to get a secure job and to make money. Oh, no, no, that's not the point of life. That's what you're teaching. And, and I'm, again, I'm not against sports. I'm not against this stuff, but we worship it today in our society. We worship this stuff. And we got to understand the goal of parenting is not to keep them busy. 
It's to help them to be spiritual. It's to help them to ask the questions. Busy is easy. It just is. And a lot, of, a lot of parenting is done by the school because parents find that easy. Well, you know, I've got this on Monday night, this on Tuesday night, this on Wednesday, Thursday, five, you know, and they're busy. You know why? Because as a parent, when you're busy, you feel like you're doing something. Well, I'm going to their game. I'm cheering for them. And that's good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when that's all you do, there's no relationship. There's no spiritual connection with your child. There's no spending time with them. Now, sports can be a part of that, but it's not the only thing. School is a great thing. Education is a great thing. The benefits of it are far exceed the, the detriments of it. But when the only focus of you is you got to make grades, you got to get a scholarship, you got to get into college. Again, what you're teaching is your worth is based upon your grade point average. And the pressure it puts on kids is amazing. Where if you take the pressure off them, a lot of times they do better. Well, if I, if I don't stress it, they won't do good. Why? Let's, let's have a discussion. Let's talk to them about what's going on in their heart. Why aren't they studying? What's going on with that? You see, heart issues take time. They, they take time. They take the late night conversations. They take the, I'm tired and I want to go to sleep, but I got to talk to my kid. Which again, gets into that whole selfish thing. I had a lot of late talks with my kids. I wanted to go to bed. The bed was calling my name loudly. But you know what? I knew that one day they're going to be gone. My son's in Scotland right now doing an internship. My daughter's in college. I can't talk to him now unless they call. I had my time. And that was it. And I knew at that time, I'm going to talk now. I can sleep later. And now I'm at a point where I get up anyway. But we're not going to talk about that. You know, it's kind of goofy. But we want to talk about what, what's the whole purpose of it. Digging into a heart takes time. That's why a lot of marriage relationships have issues because couples don't really have heart talks. They become partners. They become business partners. Hey, what do you have Tuesday? Let's do something on Tuesday, you know? And they don't really have that closeness of heart. Same thing can happen with kids. Same thing can happen with kids. And we want to we be focused on them. We want to raise spiritual kids, not good kids. Last thing is be soul-focused in your parenting. Soul-focused. The mind learns things informationally. It just does. You go to school um, um, and, and you learn things, but the soul learns things experientially. You can't, you can't learn God by just memorizing stuff. I wish it was that way. I really do. It, it would make life a whole lot easier. But you can't teach Jesus like you do math. Thank you, Lord. I mean, just, just saying. Some of you love math. Some of you hate math, you know. For me, English was the issue. You know, I, you know, I don't care where the comma goes. It's not that big a deal to me. But, you know, it's very important, especially to English teachers. You know, and, and so they want to know that. So you have to memorize all the stuff. You have to know all the rules but, but when it comes to, to serving the Lord, you experience 
your relationship with Jesus. And that's what we forget. A lot of times we think it's a mental thing, but it's not because a lot of us know stuff, but if we don't do it, do we really know it? Do you really know it? Do you really believe it? If you don't do it, there's a story of uh, when he was a young man, Nikita Khrushchev, who was a premier of the Soviet Union back in the 60s. When he was a young man, I think it was his grandmother would take him to church. And this was the Orthodox church and they would memorize scripture. And he learned that if you could memorize the scripture, you got candy. Now, I don't know about you, but candy is a great motivator to children, isn't it? I had an Aunt Mary who, she was my, my grandmother's sister. She lived near my grandmother. She always had this big bowl of candy. So every time we went to visit my grandmother, guess what we did? We go visit Aunt Mary. She was a smart lady. She wanted us to come see her. Did she beg us? Nope. Did she guilt trip us? No. She just said, oh, you want some candy? So guess what we did every time we went to my grandmother's? Hey, we're going to go visit Aunt Mary. Yeah, candy got us there. And that's, that's fun for some stuff. But what Nikita was doing was he was memorizing scripture. He learned large passages of scripture. He could quote them word for word so he could get candy. But did that make him a Christian? Did it make him a Christ follower? No. He was a horrible premier. We almost went to war with him in the early 60s with JFK. He did nothing to change his behavior and did nothing to change his life. And we want to be careful that we're not raising people up based on their behavior. Hey, when we go out, you need to act right so I look good. And what we need to do is experience faith with our kids to go alongside with them, to let them know this is how you live faith. Because a lot of times kids want to see it. And I'm not saying that you have to wake them up with you to do early morning devotions. Okay, that can probably be more of a distraction. But do they see that you were up? Do they know that you were up praying? And again, that doesn't mean you wake up two minutes before them and set your Bible out with a cup of coffee and act like it. (laughs) Oh yeah, just had a good time with Jesus, four hours, you know. I mean, that's... Okay, you don't want to do that. That's faking it. (laughs) But when's the last time you shared stories with your kids about your life, your mistakes? It's funny how our kids will tell us stories that we told them that we forgot about. Oh, is that like the time you did this, this, and this? Yes. Where'd you hear that? Oh, you told us a story. Oh, okay. When's the last time you let your kids know you were scared about something? or that you had no clue and that you needed to pray. You see, it's good, it's good for our kids to see that you sometimes struggle with your faith, that you struggle through things. When we lived on the coast, when Katrina hit, and we were actually out of town when the storm turned and came up. And, and so all we had was what we had in our car because our house had over five feet of water and we lost it all except for... Uh, my daughter had a table that floated out of her bedroom down the hall and settled. It was really weird. So she got the toys on top of that, but that was about it. And, and so we, we lost most everything. But my kids came through that with us. 
We had a guy call our church a couple weeks after. I had just come back and was trying to figure out what to do. And this guy calls our church from Atlanta, Georgia, and says, hey, um, I've got a house that really did okay through this. Do you know anybody who needs a house, a place to live for a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm on the phone going, yeah, I know somebody. I do. I think I know somebody. You know, my hand's up in the air. And so this guy named Van, Mr. Van is what we call him, gave us his house for about eight months. He wouldn't take any money for, for power or anything. And we lived in Mr. Van's house. So my kids got to experience the fact that, hey guys, we need to pray. We have no place to live. To, hey, look what God did. Look what God did. And so it's funny how God will use those things. We thought that was like the big test of the family. And then um, a little over a year ago, my wife was diagnosed with brain cancer and had a tumor and we had to go through surgery and all this other stuff. My kids' faith never wavered. When we told them, they were in Spain actually on a missions trip. We called them to let them know that the diagnosis had come back, that it was cancerous. And the first words, my daughter said, well, God's got this. God's got this. You see, and that's not because I taught her to say that. Hey, whenever someone says something hard to you, say God's got this. It makes you sound spiritual. <laughs> it just, it's something that she experienced because we went through it together. Faith is taught experientially. That's why when you're discipling someone, you have to be close to them. It's not a class. You have to have a relationship with them. It's to be passed down relationship. And that's why you can create a house that helps your kids reach out to their friends. You can, you can reach out to neighbors and they can see that. That's what a lot of our missionaries do in foreign countries. They just open their homes up. They just build those relationships with other people. And your house can be a home on top of a hill for others to see if you create that environment. And that's what God wants us to do. Faith can't be put into the hands of professionals. It just can't. Pastors, children's pastors, youth pastors, they're great and they serve a purpose. But your faith is something you have to get from God and you can pass to other people. So the people you work with, the people that you have as friends, a lot of them need someone to relationally pass that faith down. That's you. That's why you're here. Do you ever struggle with what's my purpose in life? Well, I don't really do anything. I just kind of work and just kind of live life. There's people that you can touch that I'll never go near. There's people that you can minister to that, that I would never see. You see, and that's what you're here for. You're here to help parent those people to Christ, to be a spiritual father or mother to them. How cool is that, that God has given us his very precious gift, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and said, I want you to pass this to someone else. See, that takes away this whole self-doubt, this whole thing of, well, God can't use me. He can he uses everybody if they're open. So to have a home set up on a hill, how great would it be to see homes all over the city where people are, are living and loving Christ and letting their home be a place to reach out to others? One thing we did when my kids were in school, uh, in, in high school, junior high, we started this with my son where he could invite people over to the house 
on Wednesdays, we would feed them and take them to church. It was simple. A lot of times on Wednesdays, I was home. Sundays, it was not so much, but on Wednesdays, I was home. So we, we said, hey, let's do this. So, so when he was in school, we would get a couple who would come. And it was kind of funny because we'd sit around a table and eat. And you get kids going, do y'all do this all the time? That's a real table. Do y'all sit around the table and eat? Most meals we do. I've never seen that. It's kind of cool. You ought to try it, you know? And we would, we would talk and we would get them to talk and they would tell us about, you know, their life. I mean, it wasn't deep. A lot of times it was goofy stuff, but they remembered it. We would take them to church. And then as he graduated, my daughter started taking it up and she would bring upwards of eight to 10 people. She would have to drive a car. We would drive a car. Our food bill was amazing. I learned the power of pancakes. <laughs> They're cheap and I can make a bunch of them. All right, breakfast. Yay, <laughs> yay. It's cheap, you know, and it's just, it's a reality, you know. Um, grilled cheese sandwiches, we love them, good, because they're cheap, you know, I mean, it was just, <laughs> when you're feeding 10 teenagers, it's just the way it is, and, and so we began to do this, where they would come to the house and come to church, and you know what, my kids talk about that, they still have relationships with those people, and those people, and you know what, my daughter went to school last year, we still on Wednesday night have a group of kids who come, to our house, and we take them to church. And there's nothing really super deep going on. Usually I get home from work and I'm, I'm throwing food. I'm like a short order cook at Waffle House, you know? I mean, that's just the way it is. But you know what? They remember and they know what's going on. It doesn't have to be super complicated or hard, but you can be a home set on a hill. You can be a place where people wanna know Christ. You can be a spiritual mom and dad to someone else and you can make a difference. So let's think about that today. Let's think about what we can do. We're talking about being a neighbor. And it's funny, I was reading one time G.K. Chesterton and, and he said this, he said, family and neighbors show your true spirituality. Because he said, you don't pick your family and a lot of times you don't pick your neighbors. And he says, he thinks it's on purpose that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, because you don't pick them. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to make a difference in someone else's life. Lord, we're not here for us. Lord, we're here for you and for others. And Lord, when we live our lives for you and for others, it's amazing how you bless us, how you give purpose to us. And Father, I pray that you would touch each person who's here and you would give them a vision to be a spiritual parent. You would give them a vision to help someone else grow closer to you. And Lord, I pray for those who are parents of children. Lord, that you would help them to think spiritually, to raise their children in a spiritual environment. And Lord, to let Christ be the center of their home. In Jesus' name, amen.